Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Tech Talk is underway here on a Saturday at News Talk, 830 WCCO. Steve Thompson, Doug Swinhart, Jonathan Lowe is our studio coordinator. Here's the phone number, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. Feel free to call or text the program today if you're having problems with your computer, hardware, or software, or whatever. Doug, I hope you're doing well. Oh, absolutely, Steve. I'm uh, very happy about the reception that I'm getting from people when I tell them that I'm a sociable guy, but you can't come in my house, just hand me the equipment, I wipe it down and try to keep everybody safe, and I think it's going quite well. Yeah, um, I I know people are taking it seriously, and that's a good thing to see, and uh, once again, keeping their distance and uh, doing the right thing. Um, Doug, we've got a lot of texts already, and we want to throw that phone number out as well, and a friendly reminder If you want to talk to Doug, call early, because by the end of the program, we always run out of time and can't get to all the calls and texts here on the program. And real quick, again, that number is 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226, and you'll be visiting with Jonathan if you call. Uh, The text line comes directly to me, so we'll be able to get to those uh, a little bit more quickly. Um, Doug, let's start on the text line today. Can you speak uh, about Dell XP13 and what the difference is between an i3, an i5, and an i7? Uh, I believe those are the chips that kind of drive the computer, if you will. Yes, when it comes to CPUs, computer processing units, these are actually the computer. Everything else is supporting equipment. The i3, the i5, and the i7 has been a staple with Intel for many years, although they're doing improvements on them every quarter. The i7, of course, is the fastest, uh, largest cache, more cores, and the i5s, I think, are a tremendous buy as long as you can get into a quad core. And the i3s, they're a great chip, just a lower line and much less money. And the Dell 13-inch, is a nice little machine. I have serviced many of these, put in solid-state drives, upgraded drives, optimized windows. They're a great little computer. I probably would opt to go with an i5 quad just due to the fact that it's considerably less money than an i7 normally, and you have almost the same processing power as long as you're seeking a quad processor. And I don't think we should count out AMD. 
they're putting out some nice equipment as well. There's just a plethora of really good equipment out there, and I hope that helps. Yeah, and Doug, one thing we should remind folks, if if they're in the market for new equipment, whatever that is, uh, the, the, the difference between brands and so on and so forth, we've, we've mentioned this before, it is so competitive. Um, I, I know there's brand loyalty and everything, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there right now. Oh, there really is. And, you know, AMD has uh, been a competitor with Intel for years and years, and it was thought for many decades, several decades, that Intel would remain the top-selling chip. And that has actually started to change. AMD is putting out beautiful equipment, just gorgeous equipment, and they're a little lower priced. Uh, predominantly, historically, AMD's had a had a reputation for running hot. Those days are gone. They're just top-shelf chips. So you've got uh, all kinds of options. And the big thing is, is to make sure you're comfortable, find a price range that's comfortable, and if you can, get out to Micro Center and touch and feel. And I know we're supposed to stay home, but this is this is kind of important with, with laptops and notebooks and netbooks especially. They have to fit the user. Once you've got the right keyboard and the right display and the right weight, it, you still probably have 15, 20 different models and options to choose from, so at a minimum. And... They're just, it's just good equipment all the way around. All right, to so the text line again, uh, how much RAM and storage should one have in a computer? What do you recommend up front, uh, particularly if someone's going to run Windows 10? I really like to see 8 gigabytes. You can do just fine with 4, but 8 is going to give it a lot more room to stretch out and do its thing. When it comes to storage, uh, disk storage, I think that over the years, the large drives, the one terabit, two terabit, and so on, have been more of a, of a selling thing than a necessity. Uh, most computers that come in here, I can take a terabyte drive out and put in a 256 gig, a quarter of the size, and still put all of their data, dual operating systems, and they still got plenty of storage. So for storage, I'd probably recommend a 256 gigabyte and make certain that you're looking at an SSD drive. And SSDs, there are several different topologies of SSD drives. It isn't just the two and a half inch anymore. We've got the NVMe, the non-volatile memory enhanced PCI. These are just incredibly fast. They're like 10 to 20 times the speed of a normal solid state drive. So this technology is evolving in light years. And Take some time, do some study. What you get, you'll pay for what you get. But you, it's definitely, definitely a bargain no matter which way you go. From our text line, by the way, the number is 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. From our text line, my HP desktop has a black screen with a blinking cursor instead of booting up. I changed BIOS to boot with CD and inserted my Windows 7 reinstall CD, but I still end up with a black screen and a blinking cursor. Uh, F8 and other keys do not bring up save mode. The only option that comes up is uh, using recovery to reset to factory. Did my hard drive fail? What's going on here? Yeah, you know, this is a large question. 
this really could be a computer that is uh, trapped in the middle of a, an update or an upgrade. And th- these are, are, are a real difficult task to do, but I would suggest if you're going to be thinking about sticking with Windows 7, the only way that you can do this is to do a reinstall from the ground up. And to begin with, you're going to want to tap on your escape key so it actually brings up a selection menu so you can get into the BIOS and unplug your Internet if you're using a cable and set the date back at least two years as you're installing. That will make a big difference in itself. Check to see what kind of BIOS updates there's been, and then from that point forward, it's going to be put in your DVD or a USB drive, however you have the image from Windows 7, and install that baby from the ground up. This would probably be a perfect time to consider a solid-state drive. If there's data on that computer that you want to save, take the drive out, install the SSD drive, and do a fresh install and let the good times roll. And I hope that helps. Yeah, and it sounds like they have all the data bagged up, which is good. That was included. It was a little bit longer text, but they do have their data bagged up, and we want to remind people that is the key. Hardware can be repaired or replaced. Um, you, you you can do a lot of things, but, but Doug can fix lost data, and that that is so important. Take time, back up your data. We can't stress that enough, and if data can be recovered. Sometimes we can get it, I would say probably 75, 80%. But if we can't retrieve the data, if there's been data written over where that data was originally saved on the hard drive, then if there's any chance of getting it back, you got to take it out to OnTrack and Edenbury, which, by the way, Steve, they if they're not number one in the world with data recovery, I guarantee they got to be in the top three. This company I've watched for many decades. It's just evolved and tremendous. They're not that expensive, but you will get what you pay for. They do a great job. But much, much better to have your copies of your data at least in two or three places. And with the cost of backups today, even an automated backup service, Carbonate, SugarSync, there are many really good solutions. It's so inexpensive today. There's no reason for anybody to lose data today. That's my opinion. Quick break. We have more coming up, including a trip to the phone lines. The number, 651-989-9226. You can call or text the program. Uh, we've got Robin in Bloomington, Mark in Maple Grove, Pedro in Minneapolis. We'll get in, get to those calls in a moment here on Tech Talk. A news talk, 830-WCCO. It is Tech Talk here on a Saturday at News Talk, 830-WCCO. Doug Swinhart is in, and of course, the phone number is 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226 is our phone number. Jonathan Lowe answering the phones, and of course, producing in our studios. Let's go to, to those phone lines. Robin in Bloomington, you're on the air with Doug. Hi, I want to change from Windows XP to Linux Mint. Is that something I can do by myself? Oh, it certainly is. Um, I would suggest that you go to linuxmint.com and 
Make sure if you're running an XP machine, I would suggest that you download Linux Mint XFCE. It's lightweight, it's fast, it's got a beautiful interface. Mate and Cinnamon are a little bit more heavy, a little more graphical, but you won't miss it at all with XFCE. It actually is designed, that particular desktop is designed for older equipment and requires less resources. You will also want to check out YouTube and find out how to create an image. You download an ISO file for what the operating system is, and with either set up a bootable USB drive or a DVD or CD, and pop that baby in, and you can take it for a test drive. Right on the desktop says install Linux. As you click into this, you will be presented with, you might even be able to keep your XP if you got large enough drive, and it will install Linux right next to it. You'll have a dual boot system. I'll bet you within six or seven hours at most, reading and studying, you'll be on your way. Great call, and thank you so much for that call. All right, good luck, Robin. Let's bring in Mark in Maple Grove. Mark, you're on the air. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Say, Hi, I, Mark. What's I, up? I, I go to the auto auction, and I buy cars, and I bid on them. And you could always look online at cars, you know. And I do not have a laptop, and currently you have to bid online. No, you can't bid live. So I would like to buy a laptop, and I have a smart TV, so... I was just wondering how I could, you know, do the, if I get a Chromebook or. Uh, that would be, that would be a good option. In, in the, in the element of really having something that you could carry out to the auction. I have to tell you that I worked on a Lenovo 15 inch that I believe it's an S 14, something, 145. And that particular computer would be perfect for you. It's 15-inch screen. You could actually broadcast it to your television if you want to. But this thing is, I believe, under about two to $300. And they're gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. And that would really serve your, your needs completely. Uh, also, a Chromebook would work. If you are able to get online, you're going to go right to the website and bid on the auctions and get this thing done. Either one of those is a wonderful solution. Without ever having any experience, I might tend to sway towards the Chromebook because the environment is so easy to work with and you never have to worry about viruses or malware or any of that because it updates as soon as you turn the machine on. Either way, good solution. And if you want some help, give me a call next week and we'll help you find out the right unit. And thank you so much for the call, Mark. All right, Mark, good luck with all of that. Uh, let's go to Pedro in Minneapolis. Pedro, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hi, how are you? Good, thank Thanks you. for letting me in. Thanks for letting me in. How are you doing, Doc? Hey, listen, my problem is, is that I haven't been able to get my computer for over a month. Every time I keep turning it off and turning it back on, and every time I try to do to get in, it says error on the screen. No boot disk has been detected or the disk has failed. And every key I I touch keeps writing that message over and over again. This is a situation where it would really require a diagnostic. Chances are you have a bad hard drive, but not necessarily. 
This also could indicate a bad motherboard and possibly even a power supply. Power supply is easy to replace, but you'd want to run a diagnostic before you go out and start buying equipment. And I never charge for diagnostics. If you want to give me a call next week, we'll figure out a time when get my hands on this baby and wipe it down with disinfectant, of course. And I'd have it a day or so and give you a call, let you know where you're at. I wouldn't let you spend more money on it than it's worth because there's so much good equipment out there that you can purchase for a low price. But that's that's going to require diagnostics for sure, for sure. My first thought is hard drive, but not necessarily. And thank you for the call. I hope that helps. It's a big challenge, and I think that's true with computers or automobiles or, or any sort of equipment. At, at some point in time, you, you can put in a solid-state drive, but if there's other issues, if, if the machine uh, beat up or has other problems, sometimes it's just better to move on and get new. Oh, exactly. Yeah, we, there's always this fine line of, well, we want to save the planet and not create more garbage and save people money and so that balance is is what we walk every day and it really is important to make sure that that at least to me the customer isn't trying to put a whole bunch of money into a computer that at the end would really not serve the needs and be worth the amount of money invested and today computers are really really low price no matter what you're purchasing desktop laptop netbook and so you really got to use some caution. In the, in the end, a lot of times we can salvage this equipment, and it is excellent in the end. But not always. Good advice. As long as you got your data backed up, that's the big thing, of course. And we mentioned that before, Steve. And thank you for the call. I hope that helps. We have the weather coming up in a moment, but time for uh, one more call. Let's bring in Dave from Brooklyn Center. Dave, you're on the air with Doug. Hi, Doug. Uh, I have a uh, Windows XP uh, Pentium 4 system I'm converting to uh, Linux Mint 19.3 sentiment. Uh, I want to move a Windows application. However, it appears that Wine does not work with that version. Should I be backing off to an earlier version of uh, uh, Linux? Uh... Go ahead. Actually, you have two things that I would recommend. With older equipment, I will generally go with Linux Mint 18.1. That does a better job supporting older hardware. You can update. Once you get it installed, you can actually upgrade right straight to 18.3. But here again, XFCE would be the desktop. And not all programs will be able to run natively using Wine. There's another package that I have had great success with called play on linux and people get the idea it's just for games it is not and that might also be an alternative depending upon how much memory you've got you could actually even install VirtualBox from oracle which is a free download and then you would install windows right inside of linux running within a virtual box but if you do that i would highly recommend that you have at least 8 gigs of RAM so you're not dragging down your machine. All these things are possible. It's just creating and finding the right combination. And thank you for the call. I hope that helps. Quick break. We have more Tech Talk on the way. Here's the number, 651-989-9226. 
651-989-9226. And you can call or text the program if you're having a problem with your computer, hardware, or software. We have a lot of texts to get to. We'll do that in a moment here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. A quick reminder, uh, do yourself a favor on your smart device, download the Radio.com app, make WCCO Radio your favorite, and you can take WCCO Radio anywhere, and you can take advantage of the Rewind feature. Maybe you uh, caught part of Tech Talk today and missed uh, part of a call. You can always rewind right to the beginning and hear Tech Talk anytime, anywhere, or any of our other great programs here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. Great to have Doug aboard. And right now we want to uh, jump over to the text line while we have a moment. And we have a lot of text to get to here on the program. Um, I have an HP laptop supporting HP Envy 4500 printer, copy or scanner. I can print, copy, and scan. But I need to change the email address it scans to. I can't figure out how to do that. When I installed the printer, the laptop was at Windows 8, so I I'm, have since upgraded to Windows 10. I'm just trying to figure it out. And Doug, I was wondering, is is the only way to go to uninstall and reinstall this printer, copy or scanner? What do you think? If I'm not mistaken, this has to be done up on the HP server. If this individual created an HP account during the original install, that's where that email would need to be changed. If you can't find it there and then do a complete reinstall, but you 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 have to actually go through the registration again. And it will do that automatically. But I think that if you run um I would go to HP and under support, just ask the question about how to change that email address in a pre-install printer. I think it's actually up in the cloud on their server, if I'm not mistaken. A little research. If you have trouble, uh, give me a call, and we'll see if we can work you through that. Yeah, and, and they did say they had been to the HP site and haven't found a lot out about that. What I do know is in my full-time job in the printing business during the week that I will stand, scan documents on what amounts to be a copier, but it's, it's the same concept. It, it's a copier and it's a printer, and I'll scan a document or a sample or, or something I need to forward to a client. And the email lives at that device, and I'm Correct. wondering if there's a way to get into that printer, copy, or scanner and set up that device. I, I think if you're poking around on your computer, it, it, it may be buried in the settings for the printer that that lives on your computer, if you will. It, it, it just seems to me, I know when, whenever someone new joins the company or someone leaves the company, we have to do it at the printer and remove that email address or add a new one. Yeah, these industrial printers will will have control at the panel, and most right. of them will, will have will provide also a network software that will reprogram and add email addresses within the printer firmware. Each sure. person on the printer you're talking about actually has a mailbox in the printer, 
Now, the HP that the, that the Texter has, I'm not certain has that capability. But that also is going to be a good place to check. If you run through your panel, hit setup, head into networking, and you don't have to change anything. Just look through and see if it allows email to be added. Most of the lower-cost ones will not do this. It has to be on the software side. But your sure. upper echelon printers, what you're speaking about, Steve, this was a great feature. I remember when this came out. And if I'm not mistaken, Rico, or it could have been Canon as well, one of those two were the first to come out with that. And uh, faxes would come into these printers, go right straight to the people. The scans would go directly to where they were sent. It's a tremendous feature. And when you have a work group or a domain controller of some type, that great, great feature. This particular thing, yeah. I think they're going to end up completely uninstalling the printer and running through the entire registration again. That might reset it. Uh, but I, I know the feature you're talking about. I love that feature. Great feature. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's one of the things they brought up in the text, and I just wanted to run that by you again, especially with printer scanner copiers, the all-in-ones, especially if you've upgraded an operating system or, or you're just having problems and it's glitchy and so on and so forth. Um, this this is something we've talked about for years. Sometimes it's better with a device like that to just start over and do oh. a clean install. Oh, no question. And one thing that I would add to this this conversation is the fact that once you get that completely removed with the software and you possibly might even have to go into your printer's folder, and right-click on the device and manually delete it. Once that's complete, do yourself a favor and restart the machine. Let Windows refresh itself before you start installing the next one. We'll probably save you a ton of problems that extra couple of minutes of just restarting it and refreshing it. When you restart, give it ample time to come up and settle down. Sometimes I think people start working far too quickly and... The processes to run through the entire boot process are not complete. So give it some extra time to just settle down and then go to work and relax, and it should fall right together for you. That was a really good text. Uh, Doug, I don't know about you, but uh, my wife uh, is uh, works in uh, technology with the schools, and everything they're doing is online, interacting with students. So uh, Skype, Zoom, all of these types of platforms are being used heavily uh, right now. And uh, sometimes they can be, uh, you know, glitchy or not work for whatever reason. And and what what I've always told people when I've been in, in one of those meetings, uh, particularly a Zoom meeting, if it's not working, uh, just just maybe shut her down and start over and, and come back and try it that way. It is amazing how many things that can clear up when it comes to Zoom because generally if you have a laptop uh, and are in a situation with the integrated camera and microphone, that stuff is, is pretty much plug and play. You shouldn't have too much trouble with that. Oh, I agree. And it really is important for people to have an understanding of why that reboot has such an effect. And I think the biggest reason that it has that effect is we may have a bunch of programs open before we get into this video conferencing and whatnot. And even though you close the programs, all of them, sometimes there's little particles left in RAM. This time when you restart and you open up your video conferencing, that's actually in being mapped 
into a lower addressing of the memory. That in itself can make a big difference with something as complex as video conferencing. When you stop and consider the amount of network packets that are going back and forth over the Internet to join a group together where they have, just like being in a conference room, and the Zoom, I can't believe what's happened to them last several weeks. They are going great guns here. I, I just um, I just can't say enough good things about this. But you are correct. This restarting your computer is, should be people's first go-to attempt to straighten out the problem. Don't start fixing right away. If a computer has one minor little thing, I would restart and go. What we're looking for when we go to repair things is consistent behavior. The repairs are easy. Finding what to repair is the difficulty in configuring a computer. But that's great advice. Just restart. should be your first attempt. And 99% of the time, that will correct the problem. If I pick up a new laptop, how do I transfer everything from the old to the new? And, Doug, my follow-up would be, do you need to transfer everything? I would have to agree with that. Um, In the element of someone that has backups and full copies, that's going to be a piece of cake. Whether they have their data stored up in the cloud, and if they or if they happen to have a, a backup service, that, then it's just absolutely nothing. Now, if they didn't do that, at that point, I would probably recommend getting an external hard drive case for whatever hard drive's in the old computer. Take the hard drive right out and put it in a case, and plug it into your USB port. Then the only difficulty this user should have is finding the path to where the data is. And Windows actually makes that pretty easy. Once it comes up, you'll see your folders or directories. You'll double-click users. You'll double-click whatever you named your profile. Sometimes it says default. And underneath there, you'll find folders with documents and pictures and videos and all of the things that you saved. Hopefully, you've categorized them. And then you're going to want to run an extra search on that drive for specific file extension names, uh, XLS for Excel, and depending upon what version of Office you have, but find those, run a search at with asterisk.pdf to find all your PDFs, and just verify that they're over on the new system. It, much simpler than what you think. It's just a matter of taking enough time to learn how to do it. Uh, another really good text, by the way, great text. Quick break. We have more Tech Talk with Doug coming up here on a Saturday. We continue with Doug on Tech Talk on this Saturday. And let's get back to the text line. Uh, we, we talk a fair amount about Chromebooks as being a good option. But, Doug, are they ever going to make Chromebooks that might ha- not have to be replaced after five years? And, and I would say this, considering what I paid for my Chromebook, it doesn't owe me a dime. And it's just incredible what I've been able to get out of the Chromebook. And at the time, I think I spent $225 on it, and it's still running today. And that's got to be five years ago now. You know, we had a caller last week that actually pointed out the fact that there is an end date to the, to the Chrome on, these, on the Chromebooks. And so I did some research on this, and quite surprisingly... It has more to do with the upgrades within the Internet for security 
and Google trying to get you to the end of whatever your life is to be. When the Chromebook is manufactured, that firmware is burned into the CMOS chips inside that machine. People should be aware that even if that happens to expire, you can take that Chromebook and you can install Linux as long as you've got a large enough storage and keep that baby going for many, many years. I was actually kind of surprised at this, and I've also jumped into a couple of news groups where people are uninstalling their particular Chrome operating system and reinstalling a new Chrome OS, which they've downloaded and created, and they pick right up and run again, and it extends that life. So it's uh, it's real interesting what's happening there with the Chrome OS. I think people had the idea that Google was just out to to create some kind of planned obsolescence. And I don't think that's it. It has more to do with the security issues and the browsers and how your account is set up. It's um, it, it's a wild world that we live in, and keeping our data safe is important. So Google's number one in that aspect, in my opinion. I would not be afraid to buy a Chromebook because it's got to end the life. Every computer for sale today from a man- major manufacturer will have an end-of-life date. Sooner or later, they're going to stop supporting it and stop taking care of the updates. So I still think Chromebook is one of your best values on the market. Uh, The phone number is 651-989-9226. You can call or text 651-989-9226. Let's go to the phones quick. Ed and Fridley, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey, I got a... uh, 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 so I got a desktop with a printer. My wife's got a laptop. Uh, she wants to be able to print from her laptop to, to the printer that's hooked up to me. I did some research. You know, I tried to share the printer, but we were both only – I don't have a router or anything. All I've got is the Quest modem thing, and we apparently she can't get through to me. Is there a – I'm looking for the cheapest option to allow her laptop to hook up to my thing. Do I have to buy a router? Can I connect directly her laptop to my computer? Can I just get another keyboard for her to hook up to my computer, et cetera? You know, there are several alternatives here. What you are attempting to do is to use your computer as a Microsoft printer sharing device. If your CenturyLink modem has happens to have a four ports for Ethernet, and if your printer will do cables wired connection, and you plug that in and go into your settings and just set it up to be a network printer, that's your best option. If your printer has a wireless ability, HP has two ways to use wireless. One is what they call direct connect. If you only had one computer, it's very effective. The printer talks directly to that machine and directly to that machine only. A better method, especially absolutely necessary if there's more than one user, is to connect the printer to the Wi-Fi, just like you do your smartphone or anything else, uh, your Wi-Fi, that modem slash router will become the hub of your local area network, and everybody on the network can attach to it that has rights within that work group. I really don't care so much about having to have a computer on so another computer can print, and that's kind of my drawback with setting up a, a shared resource within Windows. I do it outside. Keep it simple. When you install the printer this way, 
I don't even bother to market shared during the install. No need. The printer will take care of all the buffering itself. This technology has changed drastically over the past 20, 30 years. And if that printer is capable of connecting to a network, be a piece of cake. If you have trouble, give me a call. I'm sure we'll have you up in an hour or so. And thank you so much for the call. By the way, Doug's phone number and email at the end of the program. Before we say goodbye, we'll have the news. And then a Twins game today, Game 6 of the 87 World Series. Coming up here on News Talk 830-WCCO. Let's go to Randy and Champlin. Randy, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, uh, Doug. Uh, I have a HP Pavilion laptop that's a couple of years old now. I did the updates from HP, and all of a sudden I got a thing called Chromium that popped up. Tried to get rid of it. Can't delete it. I don't know what the deal is. I have a feeling that what you were you have been what was delivered to this computer was edge chrome edge chromium microsoft is pushing out this browser i think you need to go underneath your updates and uninstall that specific update and there are a lot of people having some issues with this upgraded edge browser called edge chrome and I have not been able to get it to run on a machine yet, so I, they may have released it a little bit early. So I, you're you're not alone. This is uh, pretty rampant, but you got to go into the, your update settings underneath updates and security and try to uninstall it. If you have trouble with that, give me a call. I've got some some links to some software that you'll be able to take total control of your updating in Windows 10, and that's um this is why we want to control our updates. This is a prime thing. I got a feeling the rest of your computer's running okay, though, so it, it isn't urgent, but I still would want that to be gone. And thank you so much for the call. All right, Doug, real quick uh, from our text line, let's see if we can squeeze in, and then and then we've got to go. We've got all the news coming up at noon. How safe is OneDrive? Have you heard of a product called OneDrive? Actually, I have. It's a product that is delivered with every installation of Windows. It started with 8, and it, I I don't care for it. I generally shut okay. it off. I think it takes too much resources. And most of the time, if people don't play with it and configure it properly, it's going to be online recording nearly every keystroke you make and duplicating your data up in the cloud. Part of that is a good thing. Well, all my stuff is up in the cloud. But if you delete a file off your computer and you don't have this thing synchronized properly, it's going to take the file off OneDrive as well. This is kind of the problem with the real-time backup copying procedures or duplication, if you will. I prefer to manual and just let the good times roll. All right, we've got to run. Uh, Doug, real quick, uh, give us your phone number and email. Thank you. 651-552-9543. And, of course, WCCOTech.com, WCCOTECH.com, 651-552-9543. Steve, thank you so much, and have a wonderful weather day. All right, very good. Have a great week, Doug. We'll talk to you soon here on Tech Talk each and every Saturday between 11 a.m. and noon right here on News Talk 830 WCCO. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.